Hey, I'm Josh, and uh, I'm going to be talking about uh, week two here of Go. And we're going to be talking about some of the costs, some of the sacrifice that are involved in that. But, but before we get started, I want to kind of refresh our memory from last week to talk about a couple really important questions and a couple really important uh, passages of Scripture. And the first, so the first of these two questions that I want to really sit with and make sure that we're still asking ourselves is, what does this mean for me? What does this series, this idea of going mean for me? Because we can talk about Romans 8, and we can talk about the theology and those five words and the importance of that. We can talk about what it means to, to go and make disciples, but if we never actually do it, if we never allow that to change us, then what's the point? And the second question I want to sit with is, what does this mean for us? What does this mean for Genesis? Because obviously we cannot do this alone, nor are we supposed to do this alone. We're supposed to do this with others. So if you sit with this, those two questions, for the rest of the service, you have my permission to zone out. Because I believe that those are incredibly important. Those are incredibly important in understanding what this is for us, what this means for us to go and to begin to to, um, become who Jesus has asked us to be. There's also two scriptures that I want to read. The first is in Acts. Acts chapter 1, verse 8. It's one of the last words of Jesus to his disciples. He says, But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in all Judea, and Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. The other passage that we talked about last week that I want to mention again is Matthew 28, starting in verse 18. This is the Great Commission. Then Jesus came to them and said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. Now when we're talking about taking next steps of faith, we're talking about an action, we're talking about getting rid of a thought, uh, of, of abandoning plans of our own and embracing God's plans for us, whatever that might be for you to go, there's a conversation that maybe is happening internally or is happening with those around you. And the conversation, as soon as you hear the Great Commission, starts with a, with a determination. We can do this. This is attainable. This is, this is God uh, working through us, and it's a big vision, but we can do it, and we're going to make it happen. And that's a, that's a moment where it's kind of like a, a rah-rah moment. That's an exciting time. That's a time where you feel like you can do it. But suddenly, and, and, and usually, usually suddenly, usually very quickly, the conversation begins to change. The conversation begins to change, and hesitation is brought in. Fear or worry, anxiety are brought in. Procrastination, I'll do it later. Once I take care of this, I'll do that. And suddenly we start to trust our insecurities over God's promise. And so this morning we're going to be talking about the cost. We're going to be talking about what you might be giving up. We're going to be talking about what it means to follow God and what comes from that. There's a phrase I want us to sit with. And the phrase is that what you miss is more valuable than what you lose. What you miss is more valuable than what you lose. This idea that as Christ followers, we have an opportunity to be a part of something. And being a part of this, this God's plan of redemption, God's plan of making things right, God's plan of fixing the world is so much more important, is so much better, is so much bigger than any of the plans that we have for ourselves. It's worth so much more than anything that we have in our lives now. That what we have pales in comparison to what we might miss out on. 
We talk about costs. We talk about sacrifice. Money comes up. And, and my mind goes to econ class in high school. And I didn't learn much in high school at all, but especially in econ class. Uh, <laughs> little Freudian slip, I guess. Uh, I didn't learn much in econ class, but I remember a couple of things. I remember that, that nothing is free. You know, someone paid for it. Someone bought it. I remember learning that you can explain a lot with a graph and you can get away with a lot on an econ test with a little graph that just goes up or goes down and that's supply and demand and you get an A even though you don't understand the graph itself. But I also remember learning about opportunity cost. This idea that we all interact with opportunities and that those unrealized profits or gain are, are things that didn't happen because we didn't take that opportunity. So it's easy to look at the stock market and talk about opportunity cost. In the early 80s, when Apple went public, a share of stock cost $2.75. This is the early 80s. $2.75, you could own a piece of Apple. In 1997, when Steve Jobs came back from Pixar and kind of began to really form that company and really began to take off in 97, the price of a share of stock was $21.81. On Friday, the stock closed at just over $404. You and I missed out on an opportunity with Apple stock. We all have these things in our lives. We can look back at our own stories, a job, a relationship, a financial investment, an opportunity, whatever it is that we missed, and it cost us something because we didn't have it in our lives. I think the same is true with, with Jesus. We don't have to just talk about money. We can talk about our faith. But, but if we talk about our faith, maybe it's not as, as healthy to look back and think about what we missed in terms of, of regret, but to look back and think about all those times we did take a step of faith and how little regret we have about those. Do you ever regret taking a step of faith? Do you ever regret loving someone, being compassionate, giving in the name of Jesus Christ? Do you ever regret that? You might wish that the people who were, that was directed towards reacted differently, but I don't think we ever regret spending more time with God. I don't think we ever regret following Him. It's going to cost us something. It's not going to be great. It always may not go the way we thought, but there's never a regret for that. For my own life, there are times where I took steps of faith and I ended up in situations that were, that were hard, that were difficult, but I don't regret those. I wouldn't want to go through them again, but I don't regret them because ultimately that they've formed me into who I am today. And so we value those experiences. We value what it is. But as soon as we start talking about taking those steps, those steps of faith that, that we hesitate at, it's really easy for us to realize that worry and fear and anxiety have a bigger play in our, a bigger role in our life than we believe. We give worry and anxiety a little bit more value than what we really should. We have plans. We have ideas about how the future should go. And we, we want to create things in our lives that, that ensure security. We want, to, we want to create things in our lives that make sure that we're safe. And so we, so we do things that we call, our, we call being prudent or being smart, and those things are good, but suddenly we put more stock into what our 401k says than when our relationship with God. And so this worry and fear becomes an issue. And there's a, there's a blog post I want to read you, a very short blog post from Seth Godin. Seth Godin writes, uh, uh, writes about marketing and leadership, and he's spoken at Catalyst, a Christian conference. And he had a post this week about worry. And the title is, When Is It Okay to Start Worrying? A friend was waiting to hear about the results of a job interview. He hadn't heard in a while, and he asked me, how long before I should start worrying? Of course, the answer is, you should never start worrying. Worrying is not a useful output. Worrying doesn't change outcomes. Worrying ruins your day. Worrying distracts you from the work at hand. 
You may have fooled yourself into thinking that it's useful or unavoidable, but it's not. Now, you've got one more thing to worry about. Because that's what worry does. It kind of creates this cycle in our lives where suddenly we're afraid or we're hesitant and we're always kind of concerned and it suddenly is occupying a lot of our headspace. And really, there's this big lie and fallacy behind worry. And this lie and fallacy behind worry is that our plans are safe and secure. That if we can just execute our, our plans, our life is going to be safe. If we can stick to the plan, we have control. When, of course, we all know deep down, looking at other people's lives and our own lives, that that's just not true. We have no control. And we suddenly start to believe in our own, own path, our own plans, more so than God's. But if you do this thought exercise and you think about why it is we worry, you think about what our lives are gearing towards, just take your finances. Just take your finances and think about what you're going towards and ask yourself, is it worth it? Do you really want to move to Florida and have dinner at 2.30? And like just complain about the weather in Florida? Do you want to become independently wealthy, whatever that means, so you can sit around and, and, and play video games and watch TV and do whatever you want? Is your plan somehow involved being your own boss? Well, that's, that's easy. You don't, you don't need to be, have any money to be your own boss. When we think about our plans and what we're gearing towards, are they really valuable? Is there anything worthwhile in it? Is it something that we should allow our lives to be so consumed by with all this worry and anxiety? Is it worth it? Is that really what we want at the end of the day? At the end, when we're lying in our deathbeds, are we going to say to ourselves, man, I wish I watched more football games. I wish I played a couple more rounds of golf. I don't think we're going to say that. Because those things are good, but maybe they're not important. So here's my challenge for you today. My challenge for each and every one of us, for everyone here, that when we leave the room, we would go. We wouldn't leave, but we would go. That everyone would go today, that when we leave, we would have a very clear next step for us in terms of us following Jesus Christ. That we would have an action, that we would have a person to reach out to, that we would have a thought or a plan that we're going to kill. We're going to have, we're going to have something in our lives that we're going to take the next step. Now this isn't some sort of guilt, become a better Christian. This is just the reality that we're called to do something. And you're not called just to sit there. But when we talk about the Great Commission, we talk about this go principle, it's really easy to get overwhelmed by the bigness of it. In Matthew 28, it talks about all nations, making them disciples and teaching them everything that Jesus has taught you. This is intimidating. This is something that's overwhelming. This is something that feels very much like you can't accomplish it. And for us, we have that conversation where all of a sudden what starts out as determined suddenly becomes very much, I can't do it. I'm self-conscious. I can't accomplish it. I'm useless. I'm worthless. And you do nothing. But Jesus does something really interesting. Right before he says, he tells them uh, in Matthew 28, before he goes to the cross, he gives them a very easy next step. Because he doesn't just say, go make disciples and walks away. He gives them a very easy, very clear next step. He tells them something that we could all do. He tells them to wait. He just says, after I go, before you start and going, telling people, wait. And so what they do is they, they fully embrace this. I can wait. I can sit around in a room and pray. I can do this. And so that's what they do for about 40 days. And they're sitting in this upper room, praying, gathering together, and they have this incredible spirit experience 
where the Spirit comes on to them and they, they're able to do things and say things that they weren't able to do before. And it absolutely causes this environment where they couldn't preach. Like they could, I'm sorry, they could do nothing but preach. They had to preach. They had to tell people about Jesus. It created this environment that because of this spirit experience, because they waited, because they, they took the next step, they had to do what God had told them to do in Matthew 28. This incredible moment comes on and Peter gets up and preaches the first sermon of the church. Only because they waited. So maybe you need to step back. You see the big vision. You read Matthew 28. You hear about us talking about helping people find their way back to God. This, this, this big vision for, for us and for, for those around us. And you get overwhelmed by that. Maybe we need to look at where it starts. Look at the little things. Because we aren't going to be called to the big things without first being called to the little things. You can't be a great CEO if you're not... You, you can't be expected to be a great CEO if you don't are, are a great uh, a broom pusher. You're not going to be a great teacher if you're not great at doing homework as a student. There's a step involved here. Uh, once a year, I get together with, with some guys I went to college with. And my wife, um, affectionately, maybe, calls it uh, Man Weekend. And at Man Weekend, we go camping or we get together at someone's house and we do all the stereotypical stuff. We eat red meat and we play cards and do whatever. And, and we, we, uh, we say that we talk about life. And guys say this. We, oh, we get together, we, we talk about life and oil changes. But, but really, you know, women talk about their feelings and emotions. Guys talk about their life, but it really it's the same thing. You know, it's, it's, we're really having the same conversations. Um, and we cry just as much as they do. At least my friends do. Um, but... So we get together and we're talking and, and across the table, and we're sitting around playing cards and across the table from me is a good friend of mine who's in seminary. We graduated uh, from undergrad at the same time and he's in seminary. And we were talking about kind of our path after college. We were talking about kind of the journey that we took. And, and he was sharing how in those first few years in seminary, he was really disappointed and frustrated because he really believed in his heart, and he's kind of confessing this, he really believed that after he left college that churches were going to be knocking down his door to hire him. And that his dream job would just somehow just manifest itself and put itself right in front of him. And, and he talked about how there was, a, there was a process involved where he kind of had to let go of that. And he talked about how there was that arrogance there. That arrogance of this idea that at 22 that, that he could do whatever the dream job was. And in ministry, I think this is exaggerated because you know, you're talking about calling and gifting, but, but we're all called to something. Some of us should get paid by a church. And so, so the reality is, is that there's this, this idea that once we are, are, are out of college or out of school or done with that degree or done with this job, well, God's going to take our gifting, take what he's given us, and craft, tailor-made a job that's perfect for us, an opportunity that's perfect for us. And he talked about how he had to kind of let go of that. But he also talked about how thankful he was for this. Because he realized that if he had walked right into a church and, and done what he, his dream job was, he would have ruined it. He would have screwed it up. That he would have caused a lot more damage uh, than he should have. Because God ultimately is going to first call us to the little things. In Luke 16, verse 10, this principle comes out. It says, Whoever can be trusted with very little can also be trusted with much. Whoever is dishonest with very little also will be dishonest with much. Now, that's a, that's a money principle. It's a, it's a stewardship idea. But it, but it translates, doesn't it? If we can't do the little things, how are we going to do the big things? And so for you, when you're going, when you feel like God has given you this gift, this calling, these talents, whatever it is, and you want to use this for the kingdom, you have that, that great heart about it. You really want to help people find their way back to God. 
maybe before you get your aspirations for that dream role, that ideal role that you have in your, your mind, maybe you need to step back and realize that you're going to have to be patient. You know, when David showed up and had this opportunity to kill the, the giant, kill Goliath, and it just kind of, kind of took his life uh, on, on a totally different course, he was only in that environment because he was faithful in watching the sheep of his families, his family's sheep, the herds, and showing up at the battlefield with bread and cheese to deliver, his, deliver to his brothers. He was getting lunch. He was out getting lunch for people when he had the opportunity to kill Goliath. Later, when David has this moment after Goliath and his life kind of takes this new trajectory, what happens is the prophet, the, the, the chief priest, comes to him and, and basically tells him, God has told me that you're going to become king. And he ordains him as king. The problem is, is that there is already a king. And so David, who has been ordained by God, ordained by the prophet to become king, spends the next few years on the run for his life, hiding out in caves, living out in the desert, even though God told him, you're going to become king. So maybe you're in that position where you're kind of the in-between, the not yet. You have a clear idea of where you're supposed to go, what you're supposed to be doing, but you're not quite there. But what happens is, is when we have trouble with this, when we have frustration, when we get disheartened, is that we are, we are applying our expectations to something that's different. When I, when I work with students, I have a lot of adults who want to serve, and, and, and ministry couldn't happen without them. But I have a lot of adults who come to serve thinking that they're going to have a similar experience that, that they did as a student. And so they want to come in and do things that way, and they want to create that environment. It's, it's a great thing. But a lot of times they get very frustrated when students aren't opening up with them, when they're not having the conversations that they remember having with adults. And they, they're not really sure what that, what that looks like or, or how to get there, and, and they get very frustrated. And I tell them that, that it takes time. It takes some consistency. And it also, it takes a change of thought that maybe what you remember is those really, really, really deep conversations with those adults. As an adult, you don't look at them as really, really deep and meaningful. But to the student, they are. And so maybe when we come at something, an opportunity to serve, to go, we need to be open to it. We need to be open to what God is going to do and going to say. Understanding that there's a cost involved, that there's some sacrifice. But if we're sitting around waiting for what God does, waiting on that ideal, we're going to miss what's right in front of us. When you pulled in today, there were people out in the parking lot with orange vests and batons, and they were telling you where to park. And they're smiling, and they're talking to you, and, and they legitimately are having a good time. You know, those men and women who are on the parking team love serving on the parking team. They love serving on the parking team through all seasons. They're going to be out there in three months when there's, you know, four inches of ice, if we have what we had last winter. And they're going to be out there serving when it's raining and when it's snowing. And they're going to be out there when it's 90 degrees. They're going to be out there serving because they enjoy serving. They had a, they had a barbecue like two weeks ago for their team, just kind of a, a team-building thing. And they had all but like two people show up to this thing. That's better attendance than you're going to get at Thanksgiving with your family. You know? Like they had people showing up to this left and right. I had these two friends... Uh, they're both uh, recovering alcoholics. And they were telling me about when they went to AA, that they knew, they knew they had to go to AA. They knew they had to go to meetings. They knew they had to go down this road because they needed to get sober. They weren't sober yet, but they needed to start. That first step was going to AA. And they talked about how once they took that step, there was this big sacrifice involved because they lost all their friends. Because to their friends who drank, sobriety was something that could be caught, that they could be infected by it. 
And so they, was just kind of, they were like quarantined. Their friends just kind of dropped them. And they talked about how that hurt and that was painful. But the next step for them was going to AA. You know, the worship team that's up here, you guys, you guys may really appreciate them and you need to let them know this, but you also need to understand that many of them were here before 7 a.m. this morning. And they're going to be here till after 1 o'clock this afternoon. And that they were here Thursday night for about three hours. And they are through the week listening to music and practicing and getting ready and are easily spending more than 10 hours this week getting ready to help you worship. That's not guilt, that's just reality. But when you look at them, you didn't, your first thought was, man, they look really tired. They look annoyed that they had to wake up so early on a Sunday morning. They had a cost. They had to make a sacrifice to worship. But they did it because they, 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 could, they, they had to. It's part of who they are. That was their next step. Brandon and Katie are, are my friends, and they're going to Haiti like in, I don't know, like 30 hours or something. And, and Brandon and Katie are, are good friends of mine. I've been able to serve with them. And, um, and, and it was really obvious when they came back from Haiti the first time that God was doing something. And, and it became really obvious as they went back a second time, they began to talk about where we're looking to go and serve for a while and for a year, that the decision was already made for them, that they couldn't do anything else. But now if you would have told them before they went for the first time, before they had left, that Brandon and Katie, you guys are going to quit your jobs, you're going to let the lease on your house go, you're going to sell some cars, you're going to sell all your stuff, and you're going to go for a year to Haiti, that probably would have been a little overwhelming. But for them, they, their process, their story was just following the next step. And you guys have a similar opportunity. But those of you who serve, those of you who give your money your time, can I just say that you're not crazy? You know, Brandon and Katie aren't crazy for doing this. Because I'm sure there are people in their life who have, who have basically insinuated that. You showing up to church on Sunday morning to serve, to hold someone else's kid, to serve coffee to strangers, you're not crazy. You showing up to give money that you worked hard for, you're not crazy. And maybe we just need to say that, that, that this is part of following Jesus Christ. And, and understand that you're not alone in this. And we hear these stories of, of people going. We hear these stories about people taking these next steps. And, and oftentimes we wonder, how in the world am I going to do that? How am I in the world am I going to know what that looks like? You know, I look at them, they're not crazy, but I don't know how to get to that point. In, in the Gospels, in, or in, excuse me, in Acts, there's a story about Peter. You know Peter is one of the 12 disciples. And Peter was a guy who seemed to really be comfortable with what he had. He seemed to be very comfortable in what, what he was doing. And so Peter didn't really break rules. He didn't really push boundaries. So it's very interesting that God uses Peter to expand boundaries. So what happens is, is that Peter stays in Jerusalem, so he's ministering to people that are very similar to him. And he's up on the roof and he's, he's praying right before lunchtime. And he's praying and he, he falls into this trance. And he has this incredible vision where God takes a sheet of some sort and lowers it down before him, this covering just vast areas of the world. And on the sheet are all kinds of animals, including animals that he from a boy has have been told that are unclean, impure, that he can't eat. Pigs, things like that. And so Peter is, is, is there, he's looking at these animals, and God says to him, Peter, get up, kill, and eat. Every hunter and red-blooded American's favorite verse of the Bible, get up, kill, and eat, right? <laughs> so, uh, get up, kill, and eat. And, and Peter, three times, says, God, I can't do that. 
that breaks the rules. I'm, I'm not allowed to do that. There's animals out there that are unclean, and I can't associate with them because it's very important for me to be clean. And three times, God tells Peter, don't call anything unclean that I have made. The other time that Peter is told something by God three times is at the end of the Gospels. After Peter denied Jesus three times, Jesus looks at him and asks him three questions. Peter, do you love me? And Peter responds, yes, and yes. And, and so Jesus reinstates him. He changes his way of thinking. He takes him from a place of guilt to a place of leadership. In this place right here, he takes Peter from a place of security to a place of openness. Because why this is going on, across in another city, there's this Roman centurion, this Roman army officer, this Roman who's seen as, as culturally, ethnically, everything, foreign, enemy, wrong, don't associate with him to Peter. This guy is being encountered by God as well, has one of his messengers send for Peter. Peter's still thinking about this vision where he sees these animals, responds to the messenger, shows up, and this is what he says in Acts chapter 10. In Acts chapter 10, Peter shows up and kind of gives a, a preface. He says to them, You are well aware that it is against our law for a Jew to associate or with or visit a Gentile. Gentile, non-Jew. But God has shown me that I should not call anyone impure or unclean. Because Peter was willing to be open to God, everything changed for the church. The church went from just something for the Jews to went to something for everybody. And if you haven't figured it out, that means that you're, you know, this is, we're talking about you. You and I are Gentiles. You and I would miss this out if Peter not responded to this. But this incredible moment of, with Peter doesn't happen in isolation. It, it's not, it's, it's out of context how I read it, but there's a whole lit line of stories and events that lead up to this. Because sometimes we assume that if we're called by God, it's just going to happen. We're going to have a burning bush. He's going to tell us what to do, and we're going to go do it. And it's going to be easy. Kind of this entitlement faith idea that we just sit back and wait on God to move. There's this legend about Michelangelo as he was, as he was sculpting David, this incredible sculpture that, uh, of King David. And the story goes that Michelangelo would show up to his studio, and he would stare at a block of marble, this big slab of marble. And he'd go home at the end of the day. He'd show up the next day, and he'd stare at this, this, this slab of marble and for a while, and then he'd go home. He'd do this over and over and over again. And his assistant came to him and said, what are you doing? You're wasting your time. Why aren't you working? And, and he would respond, well, I am working. I'm, I'm, I'm just I'm getting ready. And so he kept doing this over and over again. And he, and he said that you know, he had to see it first. And, and I, I don't know about you, but I'm not Michelangelo. I can't look back at my life and just say to myself, I'm going to wait and plan all this out and remove all the variables, and then I'm going to do it. No, I, I learn by making mistakes and, and being active and going and doing and I think that God is sometimes looking at us and thinking to themselves, like, quit worrying about what's going to happen the rest of your life. Worry about right now. Take a step right now. You know what you're supposed to be doing. You get so worried about the details for 10 years, worry about what's going to happen later today. Because Peter thought that sacrifice, the cost for him of following Jesus was preaching to Jews. But God had a bigger vision for him. And as you are waiting for your plans to become real opportunities, waiting for your plans to, to come to fruition... Things like this are passing you by. You're missing out. Because what you're, what you're missing is more important and is more valuable than what you're losing. But when we do this, we're holding on to our plans. And the reality is you can't hold on to your plans and follow Jesus. For me, this is so personal. Maybe you're like me and you have benchmarks in your mind. By age X, I'm going to do Y. By the time I get to this point in my life, I'll be doing this. And, and for me, it, it, I realized recently just how stupid that is. That I can somehow plan out my future in such a way. 
But, there, but you, cannot, you cannot hold on to your plans and follow Jesus. Tomorrow's uh, Halloween. If you're a theology nerd, it's, it's Reformation Day. Because if you're a theology nerd and you, you know what Reformation Day is, 494 years ago, this guy named Martin Luther looked at the church and had some issues with it. And so he wrote out a list of things he had issues with and he nailed it to a cathedral door. And this kind of set off this whole thing called the Reformation where the church began to change and shift. And sometime later, Martin Luther was called before this church council. And at the end of this church council, it was basically said that you're going to be arrested, that you're going to be, your books and things are going to be illegal to reproduce, and that if anyone happened to kill you, they would receive immunity, that they can't be prosecuted. So it's a real good day for Martin Luther. And so he's standing there in front of them, and they ask him if he's going to continue to do this. And legend has it that one of the last things he says is, Here I stand. I can do no other. See, for you and I, there's something in our lives that we have to do. That if we're honest with God and truly following Him, we are going to have to go down that road. Now, Brandon and Katie, if they were be disobedient to God and not go to Haiti, I think that they would know that deep in their heart, deep in their being, immediately. Because, because there is something for each and every one of us that we have to do. We have an opportunity to make a choice. And so that choice starts with the first step. In Luke chapter 5, we see Peter's first step. In Luke chapter 5, we're going to end here. But in Luke chapter 5, we have the story of Jesus calling the first disciples, starting in verse 1. It says, One day as Jesus was preaching on the shore of the Sea of Galilee, great crowds pressed in on him to listen to the word of God. People are showing up to hear Jesus. And while this is going on, there's, there's fishermen coming in from the night. They'd fished through the night and they were coming back in. And Jesus steps into one of the boats and says, Hey, take me out there a ways. So, so they, they, uh, they, they row him out there. And he looks at them and says, Why don't you go ahead and throw your nets down and see what you catch? And Peter, who's in the boat, looks at him and says, Look, guy, I don't know who you are, but I'm a fisherman, which means I do this for a living. You don't fish in the middle of the day. You don't fish at this depth because there's nothing there. And we're pretty sure that you're going to be unsuccessful. But if you want to do it, we'll do it. And he kind of has this sarcastic moment with Jesus. And he throws down the nets. And verse 6, it says, tells us what happened. And, and, and this time, their nets were so full of fish, they begin to tear. Verse 8, when Simon Peter realized what had happened, he fell to his knees before Jesus and said, Oh, Lord, please leave me. I'm too much of a sinner to be around you. We have this reaction as well. We have this reaction to God where we're overwhelmed, we feel guilty, we feel like we're not worthy, which we're not, but we take those emotions and we run from God instead of running towards God. We have this moment where we feel like we can't be around Him. And so then in verse 11, And as soon as they landed, they left everything and followed Jesus. In that moment, they had a decision to make. And it was right now. And it was a decision that had had to do with, with, with the immediate, not the future. Francis Chan, a popular writer and pastor, says, says that we are sometimes so concerned about what God wants us to do with the rest of our lives that we miss that God wants us to do something in a half hour. I think as Peter was standing there on the beach with the other disciples, and Jesus was asking him to come follow him, that he had a similar decision that you and I have today. That as Peter was standing there, he was looking at all this and said, this, this guy is so right. This guy, there's just truth to what he's saying. And I experienced something with that miracle that I can't fully explain. And he's sitting there on the beach and he has a decision to make. 
Because I think that when we leave this room, we're kind of standing on that beach. Maybe you come to this church and you talk about what an incredible worship experience it is. You love the music. You come here and you talk about how friendly people are. You come here and you talk about how how you feel welcome, the, the message speaks to you, whatever it is. And you talk about what an incredible experience it is, and you get up and you leave and you say to yourself, man, I wonder if I can get to Panera before the Colts game. And, and you have this opportunity. You have the choice of whether or not you're going to do anything with this. You and I can take these next steps, can walk out of this room and do nothing. And our lives will continue on and we'll probably be fine. But we're missing something. Because we're missing something when we don't realize that there really is no plan B. That this is it. That God's big plan for making things right doesn't involve uh, spectacular miracles. It doesn't involve him writing messages of, of, of grace and hope and love in the sky. It doesn't involve him really coming back and doing anything. It involves you and I, and that's it. His big, grand plan for making things right, for telling people about him, is to partner and use you. And if you pass on this, if I pass on this, Someone else will do it, but you're missing out. Because ultimately, the responsibility is on us. You know, helping people find their way back to God is, is, a, is a nice way to talk about the Great Commission. I, I don't know if we, just, if we need to be clear here that we're talking about introducing people to Jesus Christ and seeing their lives changed. And the grand plan for this is to trust, trust idiots like you and I. That's it. And we're standing on the beach, and we have a decision to make. We're standing there, and Jesus is asking you, do you want in? Because you're not going to be able to contract this out. You're not going to be able to let someone else do the work for you. I'm asking you, do you want to be a part of this? We'll worry about all the details later. Because later in life, Peter is told, you're going to be the rock I build the church on. But he, Jesus doesn't tell him that there. He says, come follow me. He doesn't say, come follow me, and you're going to be the rock that I build this on. He starts with the small. And each and every one of us has something that we need to do. Has something that we need to do today, right now. And if we leave this room without it, we're missing out on something very valuable. Let me pray for you. Father, I thank you so much for the way that you've challenged me. Lord, I, I hate what you're asking me to do. I hate, I hate the go step that you have for me. I don't like it. It's uncomfortable. But Lord, I, I recognize that it was foolish for me to believe that my plans were better than your plans. And God, I fully believe that I'm not the only one in this. And so God, as we stand on that beach, as we stand in this opportunity that you extend to us over and over and over again, let's be clear that if we say no, you're going to offer it again. Let's be clear that, that, that we, we are not going to be forced to do anything. But let's be really clear that with this invitation, this offer from you to be a part of this, we're being offered the best thing ever. And so, God, in this room right now, Lord, I, I pray for my brothers and sisters that I care so much about, for the people in this room that I, I am just absolutely humbled by, 
For the people in this room who are doing incredible things, Lord, I just pray that you would not allow pride to seep into any of our lives. To not look at our own lives and think how good we are and how much we're doing. And so, God, I just pray that you would show all of us, wherever we are on on our journey of following you, what our next step is. And God, I I pray that you would convict us, that you would get in our face, that you would just challenge us and confront us with the truth that there's something that we're supposed to do next. That God, that this wouldn't be about guilt, this would be about pursuing a relationship with you. And so God, as as we sit in this room, Lord, let's let's acknowledge the importance of decision. And so God, as as everyone has their eyes closed, as fathers, as we close our eyes and, and we think about this, I pray that if there's someone in this room that is, that is coming towards you, that their next step is to follow you. Their next step is just to publicly declare this, that, that you would move them to raise their hand, that they would raise their hand this, this morning if, they've, if they're making this first step. Thank you for those. And God, I, I just pray with, with every eye closed that, that, that those of us who have a very clear idea of what that next step is, that we're going and we're doing this or we're letting go of this or whatever it is, Lord, that they would raise their hands. That they would acknowledge the importance and power of sharing this publicly, of making this decision. Lord, that if they have a next step, that they would raise their hands. Thank you for those. And God, I just pray that you would, would, uh, would mess with our plans a little bit or maybe a lot. And that you would challenge us to take that next step. And Lord, if we are in this spot and we have no idea what that is, we have no idea what we're supposed to do next, God, I pray that you would give us clarity and that you would lead us and that you would bring people in our lives to give us that clarity and help us in our journey. Lord, we love you. It's your son's name we pray. Amen.